This is the Third Act Podcast, shining a spotlight on individuals, charities, and small business owners suffering from illness, economic shutdown, or lack of support and funding. Meaningful conversations that generate compassion and financial support from listeners compelled to join us on this journey to improve the lives of others. I'm gonna dance with the stranger. I'm gonna enjoy your show. I'm gonna learn to forget and really let it go. And most of all, I wanna shine a light on good and look to give back. And that's what I'll do with my third, third act. And now your host, Roger Steed. Hello, everyone. Thank you for spending your time with us today. It is my pleasure to tell you that my guest today is Kimber Bishop Yankee, who was my first podcast guest last September when I launched the uh, podcast format. Kimber was a terrific start to a long list of great guests that have agreed to participate with my effort to help folks through the Third Act community. Kimber has been extremely busy since we talked to her last September and has truly made a tremendous impact for families in Pontiac and surrounding communities through organizing and quarterbacking over 200 volunteers, donors, delivering food and furniture, making school desks for kids, and sponsoring families for Christmas gifts. As just one example, her Adopt-A-Family for the Christmas Holiday Project provided over 175 families with specially tailored Christmas gifts from each person's wish list for all family members. The coordination with Carmen Guzman, the liaison to the Hispanic community for Pontiac Schools, was extraordinary, with multiple translators needed in helping non-English speaking parents provide Christmas wish lists to volunteers in a large detailed spreadsheet that was much appreciated. This is just one endeavor that Kimber has orchestrated and did orchestrate in December, along with her ongoing food and furniture delivery program that started when COVID hit the community back in March. How she manages to accomplish so much within a week's time and still has time for her coaching and counseling job, helping kids develop and build confidence and self-esteem is a wonder to me. A mutual friend once said, Kimber is tireless and I have to agree that is so true. I would also like to take this quick second to mention our good friend, Lauren Mandel, who is doing a fantastic job on the furniture delivery donations that are coming from the general community to Pontiac families. Lauren has the same Energizer Bunny gene that Kimber has, and it's been a pleasure to work with both of them on these projects. One more thing to add, in addition to the coordination of her many oriented projects, Kimber is also chair of the Oakland County Task Force on Poverty and Homelessness and uses her skills to collaborate with many political and charitable organizations to help in a myriad of ways. There is no doubt that I have become a big fan of Kimber's nonstop drive to help families in need, and I am proud to be a dedicated supporter and volunteer for her efforts. I'm thrilled and proud to introduce Kimber to the podcast today. Welcome, Kimber. Thank you, Roger. You've been busy since last September, obviously. Congratulations on the great job through the year 2020 and all the wonderful programs that you are quarterbacking. Can you please provide our audience some of the highlights from last year? 
I really think it's the personal stories that are happening with our volunteers when they're delivering to the families. For example, one of the families that got sponsored for Christmas, I got a text message that the sponsor had decided to drop off dinner weeks before Christmas, but wanted to introduce themselves and give a little blessing. A couple weeks ago, I had one of our food delivery volunteers. She told me that they heard the smoke alarm beeping, the battery was dead, and the smoke alarm actually was expired. So her husband ran out and bought a new smoke alarm and installed it. So it's these like little acts of kindness that make what I'm doing enjoyable, worth it, like this beautiful stuff. It's also great from the standpoint of a volunteer to be able to give our time and to also contribute to your, your great efforts. Maybe I just wanted to talk a little bit more of, about the expansiveness and the coordination of the Christmas program, just because it was so large of an undertaking and it was fairly new for you, but you pulled it off beautifully. Again, jumped in with, with uh, both feet. We ended up with 175 families. Some of the things that we did not envision is many of the families we're working with, because they're in poverty, their phones are shut off, they're changing addresses. So we had a lot of logistical challenges to track down some of the families. We had about 10 volunteers speaking Spanish to reach out to them. We did a little more than just your typical Christmas gifts. When we asked the families what did they need, we also asked them like winter coats, boots, gloves, and furniture. <laughs> so some of our sponsors, when they signed up, they probably were a little surprised at some of the things that we were asking them to do. I decided I wanted the families to pick out their boots because I really want to get them what they need. That was a very challenging task to try to ask them, could you look on the internet and pick out some boots that these websites and many of them didn't have access. We learned a lot and I'll definitely do it differently next year. But what I loved again was like, I got so many text messages, emails from the volunteers saying they absolutely love doing it. And so we're going to do this for Easter. We're going to take the same 175 families and we're going to sponsor them for Easter with Easter baskets and Easter meals. And last year we did that a little bit. We had an organization called Provide Inc. Lori Nisif contacted me in September. We were planning a distribution of 150 Easter baskets. And because of COVID, we can't do it. Is there any way you can use these Easter baskets. So we just added them to the food delivery. And then we hired a caterer to prepare a meal, an Easter meal, and that went out with the delivery. So we're going to do that again. This time I want to provide the parents with some Easter eggs to hide so that they can make it a little fun for the family. Every time I volunteer, it seems like you have a special knack to communicate from a passionate standpoint for, the, obviously, the families we're trying to help. But every time you ask in a polite way to help or assist or move furniture, it's hard to say no. It's, it's, hard, it's easy to say yes. So um, you have a good way about that. And I think that certainly is a, a great tendency that has allowed your community, if you will, to grow and 
continue to grow even as we're looking at new projects and new uh, things to get involved with. So congratulations for your approach and um, happy to be a part of that. Well, Roger, I had no idea when we talked that you would be such a helpful volunteer. <laughs> so you have been consistent, like moving the furniture and setting the furniture up in people's homes. There there are not many people that would do that in regular times, but like even in the pandemic. And I think we've given at least 50 kids beds and bedding and pillows and When people find out, for example, when I shared with people that we had discovered there was a father living in a trailer home with no furniture, no electricity, that he had a wire uh, rigged to the next trailer to use some of their electricity, no food, the response was overwhelming. And now within a matter of two and a half weeks, We had an angel step up to pay $1,800 in his back rent, so he's not going to get evicted. Got his electricity turned on. Now he has furniture. He slept in his bed for the first time since he moved in there last May. And he said for the first time he's feeling hope, which is, that was priceless. And one of our volunteers who you spend a lot of time with delivering furniture, Brian, has offered to be a mentor to him. So he went over last night and met with him to try to set up some goals. We're probably talking, and we don't know if we're going to be able to help this man get on his feet, but we're talking, this is probably somebody who's at the bottom. He's at, he's hit rock bottom. And he's in awe that these strangers are surrounding him and supporting him. Yeah, it's amazing. I I had the good fortune to meet him. And after we delivered a few things, he was uh, tearful. He was really tearful. He was so appreciative of the effort that everyone was extending from the paid bills and and, uh, having heat in his trailer. Uh, It was, uh, it's really awesome. I think that's great. And Kudos for Brian for going the extra step. I think that's uh, wonderful. But uh, yeah, it's, it's examples like that that encourage, I know it encourages me and I know it encourages everyone in your community to keep going and keep going to the next family. So good job. Thank you. Now, one of the things I wanted to touch on is I call it your skill in being able to work with both political and charitable organizations in Pontiac. You are the chairman of the Oakland County Task Force for Poverty and Homelessness. To me, it's hurting cats, but from the standpoint of your expertise and the beautiful way that you do that. And I really ended up as the chair of the Oakland County Task Force on Poverty and Homelessness by accident. (laughs) When I talked to you last September, I shared the story that, you know, I was trying to help a homeless 22-year-old girl get help. And we just kept running into closed doors. And I was so frustrated that I reached out to our elected officials. And, and I was quite, I'm quite pleased with their response. We were making some good progress. And then the pandemic hit, which of course, froze everything. And now we're just getting started back up. So I've had three task force meetings virtually. And we've had 80 people from the community on these meetings, which I am so appreciative that people are willing to take the time. So my goal is with the task force is to 
help people, including myself, everyday people, to learn what the barriers are of being in poverty. People have a lot of judgment about people who are in poverty. They think they're lazy. They think they're not smart. They think they take advantage of the system, but they have no idea how hard the system is and what little resources uh, people are working with. And some of those folks are the hardest working people there are. So to really understand that it could be a, a barrier, could be that I don't have the internet to print out the form I need. I don't have a printer. I don't have a car. <laughs> so the simple things like that really get in the way of people being able to take care of things that they need to take care of. And so that's one goal. The second is to keep you know, raising awareness so that the political forces, the community organizations want to do something about it. And I think that yeah. one statistic that just really blows everybody's mind is that in Oakland County, we have 2,400 children that are considered homeless. Oakland County is one of the um, wealthiest communities in Michigan and in the United States. And for a kid to be homeless, they say that you could be living in someone else's house, you could be in a car, a hotel, or a shelter. The good news is that about 75% of those kids are doubled up in somebody else's home. The bad news is that the research shows that when kids do not have a stable home, when they're moving around a lot, when they're changing schools, that impact is academically really hurts them. So the biggest crisis really that the root of most of this issue is that we do not have affordable housing in Oakland County or across the United States. It's actually a nationwide issue with the shortage of affordable housing. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. And, and uh, you mentioned some of the stats and some of the uh, data that uh, was shared in the last task force meeting that you you chaired with Sarah Orris, the consultant from the Oakland schools. And to me, it was just, as I sat back and thought about it, it was just a total shocker. We know the situation is bad. And uh, you and I have witnessed the doubling up and tripling up of families in individual houses and duplexes and even smaller uh, confines than that. But it is really staggering and it is alarming that in so close to where we live is this community that is struggling every day to uh, make ends meet and also provide education for their kids. And that's why I'm so pleased that you're embarking on this new effort, which I want to talk about and really is the focus of the call today. And that is moving into the educational realm. Uh, and you're developing this book buddy program, which I think is fantastic and I want to be a part of. But can you explain a little bit the genesis of that idea and how it came about and really how you're pulling it off, please? Yeah, when ever since the pandemic hit and schools shut down and summer camps shut down, it, it's been, you know, eating away at me at knowing that 
there are thousands of children that were stuck inside and not getting education, not getting activities, not getting social connection. And I just, I I kept exploring, could we open a tutoring center? What could we do to help these kids? And because of COVID, there weren't really options. And I decided that I was going to try this. And the goal is that every child will get, um, to start out, they'll get six books, pajamas, hot chocolate, and marshmallows. (laughs) And The point of the pajamas and marshmallows is we want to encourage uh, bedtime reading. So we want to make it a little special. And to be honest, most of those kids don't have pajamas. (laughs) That is like something special. I didn't know that when I thought of the idea, but I, I, I was told these kids don't have pajamas anyway. So this is a special treat for them. And so we're, we're setting up two book buddies for every child. And that is for the safety of the child. They have to be in different homes and they're going to do a Google Meet, which is how they do their school. So these kids should have access to that. And then once they complete the six books, once a week, they're supposed to read to their book buddy. Once they complete the six books, then they will get six more. And my hope is that we will have some volunteers that will stick with these kids, that will get to know them, and then hopefully maybe offer some other support for the family, be an auntie or an uncle to a child. Although I do have quite a few high school kids uh, doing it, which is exciting too. So I think on both sides, there's going to be benefits because again, when our teens participate in this, their eyes are going to be open to a whole world that they know nothing about. I was really pleased to hear your comments to me, I think yesterday or the week before, about the teacher friend you talked to that quickly was able to get 24, 25 students to agree to be this book buddy to these uh, children in Pontiac. Didn't that blow you away? Yeah, she said that she announced it to one of her classes and she was just planning on offering it to one class that she had. And then she said girls were running up to her in the hallway asking to be a part of it like by the afternoon. And she cut it off at 20 to get it started and then she'll let other girls join. But I, I, th- I think that kids do want to help. And that's one of my frustrations is that uh, there's not a lot of opportunities for kids to help. This gives kids an opportunity to help. How young are the kids receiving the, uh, the readings from their homes in Pontiac? High school kids right now, I have high school kids that are doing it and adults. I am going to open it up to middle school kids if they want to do it. Um, I've already talked to my own eighth grade boy about doing it because I want him to participate in it. Um, And then the kids that we're having that are participating, they're mainly in third and fourth grade. In Michigan in 2016, the legislators put forth a law that if kids were not up to reading um, level in third grade, they would be held back, which is actually very detrimental. It is not a good, a positive thing for that to happen. So 
it's really important that these kids were already struggling before the pandemic. So there is a lot of catching up to do. And I know that some some educators are telling parents, don't think of this as catching up. Everybody's in the same spot. But the truth is our kids and and Pontiac are, are not in the same spot. They were already struggling and now they have missed almost an entire year of school. And they were already behind. I'm hoping the one-on-one attention will develop into something that will help them get to where they need to be. Do you have any idea talking to educators in the Pontiac Public Schools, how big an audience you could have? My guess is like there's 5,000 kids that could use this. Yeah, I'm guessing probably every single child that lives in that community could could use this. So yeah, <laughs> it's a big number. As you plan out 2021, how do you envision this taking place? You start out with 20 kids reading and maybe 20 or 40 receiving it, but do you have a sort of a goal for what you'd like to accomplish this year? Yeah, if I actually had a director of a cooperative community housing program reach out to me and ask me if she could partner with us on the project. So she is going to offer this to her kids. And I think they have a couple hundred living in in their housing program. So if, if I was able to reach 200 kids with this program, I would consider that huge success. And my real hope, though, again, is that I find volunteers who are willing to stick it out for six months or so to really help that child get into reading and then find out more about the family and what they need and support them other ways. That's great. I know that you're starting this endeavor already. You're purchasing books. You're getting set up for a launcher. So the expenses are building up. And I just want to make a, um, a commitment from the standpoint of the Third Act community. I want to make a challenge that I think this uh, program is terrific. And I think it's an easy one for people to identify with. From the standpoint of Gene and myself uh, going to donate $5,000 to this uh, project, immediately. And I encourage everyone that's listening to give this special consideration. I know that you would love any donation, large or small, but if someone can, or many people can step up and make a bigger commitment, I know you'd be appreciative and it'd go a long way for this program to flourish as the year progresses. Roger, thank you. (laughs) I'll have to call on your podcast more. (laughs) Nice surprises. (laughs) Yes, I, I, I think that Investing in our children is the best investment we can make. And doing it people to people. Like what I love about the opportunity that the pandemic has provided is that it's really removed all these barriers about helping people because we're at ground zero. So we're just doing it. We're not waiting for someone to tell us. We're not asking permission to a big nonprofit. We're just meeting the need. And people are interested in this type of grassroots, just do it 
We don't need to talk about it. We need to meet about it. We don't have a bunch of rules and regulations. We're just doing it. And I think that is the, the best thing about this is all the love and caring and kindness that we have pouring. We have at least 150 volunteers. We're impacting three or four, 500 families. I, I think, I don't know if I mentioned this to you before, but one of the things Carmen said to me is that some of the families in the Hispanic community have said that they are now feeling like all white people are not mean, <laughs> which <laughs> they've had a rough four years. And they, I think, are a, a group of people that has been overlooked. I had no idea there was such a huge Hispanic population in Pontiac. And I think that they are really struggling and they are so appreciative of the support and the love that's been really, people are showing. I've said this in my writings, either in a newsletter or a podcast previously, that I've gotten a lot out of volunteering with your organization this year. It's really meaningful. I, again, applaud you for all of your efforts. I know it's going to continue to grow. I want to be a big part of that. I'm going to be a big supporter of that. And uh, I think last year, unfortunately, was tough, but you marshaled through that and you provided a lot of service to a lot of people, which I think is fantastic. And I think equally, this year is going to be great. I really want to encourage people to give to the Book Buddy program. And then if you can follow up with the Easter program, that would be great. Keep the ball rolling and see what we can accomplish. So I appreciate your, uh, your coming on again. And obviously, I'll talk to you soon. Roger, thank you so much. You're the best. Thank you for listening to the Third Act Podcast. To find out more about who we are spotlighting, how to get involved, or find show notes on today's episode, go to wearethirdact.com. With my third